We're just nine weeks away from the start of the 2023 season. Today is the, feels like for me, the start of the season, really. It is our official preview uh, series getting started here. Uh, we're going to start with the NFC East. So let's, uh, let's dig in. Hello and welcome to Move the Line. I'm Ryan Noonan, joined here, as always, by my friends to talk football division preview series. Uh, Connor Allen, Sharp Clark. Connor, uh, year six of Move the Line division previews. This is kind of, uh, we didn't do a lot of off-season stuff back in the day. We kind of started off here. So, uh, and I think we started with the NFC East. How are we doing, buddy? Good. I mean, now we're running on like almost a quarter, a little bit more than a quarter of my life, you know, less than a quarter of my life we've been doing this pod. Uh, so this is like, you know, you, yeah, it's uh, pretty wild. Um, yeah, I'm excited to talk some talk some football here. Uh, we're smarter, uh, both in terms of actually how I think we do this, and we're smarter because we went out and we brought on smart people to do this with. Uh, and that starts at the top here with our boy, Sharp Clark. Clark, I know you're ready for this. How are we doing, bud? Yeah, I know I'm not the only one that's excited because I can hear it in your voice, Noonan. Connor, you may need to pick up the the excitement level in your voice a little bit. Got that monotone going on, but now I'm I'm working on one thirty seventh of my life on Move the Line, and, and I'm <laughs> uh, yeah, Connor's you know he's he's out there touching grass, living life. He's you know on the precipice of wedding season. He's in that niche of of life where like you know he just got married last off season. All his friends are getting married. I don't leave my basement very often. So like I, you know, for me, this is like turning the page, starting something new. We've been talking about football because we haven't taken a week off really all season, but this is it. Like we're like, we're still like, it's not really going on in the NFL, but in terms of like our work, um, you know, writing and previewing this, you know, Clark's got his uh, NFC East preview up on the site. Um, I just, before we started, submitted my best bets, NFC East preview um, article as well should be out there for us shortly. So like we're in it and that time and that calendar is kind of flipped for us, even though, yeah, it's the 4th of July. People are like, Hey, we're in the middle of summer. I, you know, I was in a call with Connor yesterday. I'm like, yes, yeah, now we're in it. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? It's the middle of the summer. We just got started. And I'm like, okay, I guess that makes sense for most people, but that is uh, not where we're at in terms of football previews. So uh, just want to remind folks at the top again, subscribe. We're going to do a YouTube page here four for four bets. Uh, kind of peeled off of the 444 fantasy side. So if you're looking for betting exclusive content, uh, subs to this new channel, we'd really appreciate that. Comments, likes on the video go a long way to support the free content as well. We appreciate that. Still available in podcast form as well. Uh, any type of uh, podcast medium that you find us on, five stars goes a long way in helping us do that as well. The betting subscription at 444 is what you want to get for the season. Access to everything on our site. Uh, it's where you're going to get all of our content, all of our official picks, if you're doing anything in the DFS streets, high stakes, redraft, best ball, all of it's on the site. We've allowed you to access it for really cheap. Partner with Vivid Picks. If you're not familiar with Vivid, it's a pick and parlay site, very similar to some of the other ones out there. You can go to the App Store, download Vivid Picks, use promo code 444BET. Uh, when you sign up, you get a minimum deposit of $5 and you're going to get three months of our betting sub. You can just head over to 444.com/slash plans get the full thing for the season. But again, if you just want to kind of dip your toes, get a sense of, you know, how we operate, what type of tools and things we have on the site. We have a lot, uh, $5 for three months is a fantastic deal. So, uh, yeah, Connor, how are we doing in terms of like, you know, prep for this? Um, how has your process evolved? Um, are you feeling, cause I know I feel like, 
you know, once you do some of the writing for it too, you start to get a little bit more into it. But like, where are you at in terms of like, hey, where we started six years ago and where we're at now in terms of previewing these divisions? Yeah, I feel like I have so much better of a grasp of like what matters and how to bet teams compared to when we started this whole process. But I went on another show with uh, Ron Ace, I believe one of Clark's friends as well in the industry, does a really good job, but asked me specifically about my process. And I think one of the things that stood out to me was how much I learned by just doing these division previews specifically, because my process, usually a couple teams stand out. We talked about those in the earlier episodes, uh, you know, so like we focus on those teams first. And then from there though, diving in deeper into these specific teams really helps me kind of flesh out some of my bets. So focusing on maybe changes that didn't pop out as much or like, you know, offensive line depth or, you know, depth at certain positions. So I think there's a lot of things you can learn. And I think that's probably my favorite part about it, honestly, going forward. How about you, Clark? I mean, I know you've been doing previews for years, you know, writing on your site, you know, brought that to us now. Um, you know, what does this process look like for you? For me, I spend more time reviewing the prior year than I think most people do. I don't micromanage my offseason adjustments. And what I mean by that is I'm not doing player level evaluations to try to gauge, you know, well, this safety is a, you know, whatever upgrade on this prior safety they had or, you know, this offensive line, because teams are so complex and, and, and more than just the sum of their parts. So instead, I'm trying to really understand what each team was in the previous season. Um, and then that gives me kind of a baseline to which I adjust quickly in the following season once I see the play on the field. So it's a little bit different than I think uh, what a lot of most people do, but I, I still find it very valuable. Yeah, I love it. I think we all do some stuff very similar. I think we all do stuff uh, a little bit differently too, which I think brings, um, I think allows us to get like some checks and balances on our thoughts. I think bounce some ideas off of each other. And I think for you know the the listeners or readers, I think really win because you can get different perspective is not necessarily a echo chamber in this process going through it. And I think you'll find that probably right out of the gate with the NFC East as we dig in. We'll start at the very top. We have the defending NFC champ Philadelphia Eagles uh, on top. You can get them at eight to one to win the Super Bowl. It's on FanDuel. Uh, best number for them also to win the NFC. Go back and repeat is plus 330 on FanDuel. To win the division, you can lay minus 105 on Caesars. Their win total is 11 and a half across the board, uh, plus money on the over. So kind of shading a little bit on the underside in terms of what we can expect with the Eagles. And look, I mean, this, we'll have this in a handful of these teams here. Multiple things can be right and true at the same time. Like they absolutely benefited from one of the easiest schedules in the league last season. I think they made the Super Bowl really challenging to handicap because the path was so easy. We didn't really have any, even in the playoffs, obviously with what happened with San Francisco, like we didn't really have them getting a true test at all, but I don't think that there was any doubt that they were a really, really good team that had improved, had a loaded roster on both sides of the ball. Uh, again, to, to repeat and to go back is very difficult. The challenge is they're going to be stacked up against them for a lot of the things that happened in the offseason, Connor, but I'll let you get started with the Eagles. Yeah, I think you said it really well there. Like a lot of people are penciling in regression, but I think that they're built in a way that they can counteract that in different ways. So I think the defense, Clark and I both harped on it at the Super Bowl, was almost certainly overrated. You know, anytime they played someone good, we looked at, you know, the in games that they played against good teams, allowed 30.2 points per game. Uh, they were below average in success rate, points per drive, explosive pass rate, et cetera. And that was against like six teams who were even like top half of the league in offense. Um, but they ran it back. And like, I think they have talent. Like, I don't think that anyone's going to say otherwise, but at the same time, they probably aren't that like top one, two defense that we saw in terms of the metrics because they played so many bad or backup quarterbacks where they were lead against. And that's 
that's fine. This year, the schedule is a little bit tougher. So I think that they're going to be probably, I would say, fringe top 10, I think would be fair to say. And then maybe against good teams, they're not going to be uh, elite. But offensively, what really I'm excited about is the passing game here. I think that the Super Bowl kind of proved, and I think almost uh, Clark and I had a lot of discussions surrounding whether Jalen Hurts could carry a team via path, the passing game, or if it was all in the running game and he was not able to pass the ball. And I think that he showed, I mean, they started from the first snap, went five wide and were just slinging it as much as possible. The running game wasn't really working because the Chiefs counteracted that. So I'm confident that with AJ Brown, with Devonta Smith, with Dallas Goddard, who are all able to win in different levels of the field, that they're able to kind of counteract any issues that they have defensively with like a stellar passing offense here. So I'm not sure how to bet them because I do, I don't think that they win as many games as they did last year, but at the same time, I think their offense can kind of help keep them afloat where if their defense falters at all. So for me, it's kind of a stay away from here. I have bets on every other team in this division, uh, except for the Eagles. Yeah. Clark and I were touching on that a little bit at the top. Like they feel like they're somewhat priced towards the top of the ceiling based off of last year's results. Uh, Clark, let you expand on that. Yeah, they're they're being priced obviously as the NFC favorites. They're being priced at the basically the upside of their range of outcomes uh, because of how strong they looked last year. And everything really went right. Um, I want to specifically point out. Actually, Birdie, <laughs> Birdie anticipated in the chat what I was going to talk about is their offensive line is so good. It was so good last year, and their passing game was really good and and played their best offensive game in the Super Bowl. So it ended strong, but a lot of it relied on clean pockets for Jalen Hurts. Um, and he was throwing downfield to A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, who were making absolutely sick catches all year. Um, and I and I think it's impressive, but it was also a very, I think, a little bit of an illusion how good the passing offense was because of the situations that they faced. Um, and if their offensive line stays healthy and A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith stay healthy, then I think we should see continuity and we should see a team that is competing for the Super Bowl. But they're a team that I think is extra fragile to offensive line injuries uh, where you don't have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Joe Burrow who has proven time and again that they can overcome bad circumstances. We've got a quarterback who has had one stellar season under ideal circumstances against weak opponents generally. So I'm not ready to kind of put them in the same tier as these other Super Bowl favorites. I view them as uh, being priced at their upside where there's no value backing them. Um, but that, that won't scare me away from betting them early in the season when they are healthy. It just scares me in the sense that there's a an unforeseen downside that could occur uh, if they suffer injuries, particularly to offensive line. Some of those guys are getting older. You know, Jason Kelsey had considered retirement. He didn't retire. But, you know, whenever those guys get up in age, things can happen and, and things can kind of go downhill fast when your team is built this way. Yeah, they did uh, have some injury luck last year. Football Outsiders uh, does their annual adjusted games loss due to injury. The Eagles were fourth, uh, fourth fewest, so they were a relatively healthy team. Um, you do typically see this in terms of teams that have, you know, they perform well. So you get, co you know, coordinators get poached, free agents move on, you know, they get a taste of it, they get the back somewhere else. I think that in terms of having this much actual change, the Eagles are pretty set up to, I think, have fewer learning curves. And the schedule early in the season sets up really well to kind of mitigate that. If they are going to have early season, you know, growing pains, they open with a really soft schedule. Now, Shane Steichen was terrific. I don't think there's any arguing that. But Brian Johnson is getting promoted from quarterback coach to OC. I think his familiarity there with Hurts and what's worked there, I think, really helps. I think Sean Desai could be like, 
an improvement at worst a wash because I think we've all agreed we touched on it on the coordinator change episode you know Jonathan Gaming was not a guy that is like lauded for being a elaborate play caller or difference maker a lot of that stuff was very vanilla I think some of the re- regression stuff in terms of like how successful they were in, with converting pressures into sacks is definitely unsustainable um because they you know setting those types of records was impressive and again they've revamped they lost Javon Hargrave to San Francisco but they've you know in the draft between Nolan Smith uh Jalen Carter what they did last year in the draft and how you know Nicobe Dean and uh the other big guy did they they didn't really Jordan Davis they didn't really have to do much last year they just slide in and kind of refill that in a way that I think a lot of people aren't really able to do able to lock up the corners so I think the defense to Connor's point like they could probably still be a top 10, even with a little bit of regression, even with a harder schedule. Um, the offensive thing is interesting because I think they are set up. Like I want to give Jalen Hurts credit. He's a guy that we thought was very limited coming in, but uh, second straight year, his yards per attempt mark has gone up. His adjusted completion percentage has gone up. His time to throw, he's getting the ball out quicker. That's gone down. Turnover worthy play rate, which is a PFF stat, that dropped last year. So again, I think Clark does a great job of pointing out that that happened. With a healthy offensive line against a soft schedule, but there are encouraging signs that like we can expect some regression, and they can still be a really, really, really good football team. So um, I'm with you guys. Like I don't know how to bet them. They're favored currently in 14 of 17 games. I think that we'll get to that. In the next thing I think maybe the gap between them and the Cowboys is a little bit smaller. Uh, I don't hate the NFC East price at minus 105, but I don't think there's really any value in that if you had to bet them in any way Clark what would you do to to bet the Eagles I think the only way I could see playing the Eagles is an alternate under like basically uh you know try and capture some high juice on a potential outcome where Jalen Hurts gets hurt or the offensive line gets hurt they have a stretch of games starting around week six that is just looks absolutely brutal like unlike anything they faced last year and when you look at how they they did against quarterbacks that didn't take sacks they didn't play very well on defense. And granted, we've talked about how Desai can be an upgrade over Gannon. So I'm not saying like, oh, I'm guarantee you they're going to be bad again against good quarterbacks. But it's, it's in the range of outcomes. And they struggle with good quarterbacks, which they face a lot this year, and then have an offense that takes a step back. Last year, they were second in the NFL in fourth down conversions and second in the NFL in third and fourth down conversions combined. So they were doing a lot of their success at the end of downs where the high leverage moments, you know, a lot of fourth and one sneaks, a lot of third and three, you know, short plays that just get to the sticks. Um, and and when you see offensive line turnover or injuries, those kind of marginal situations that end up having massive impact on results can really swing the other way. So the only way I could think of playing the Eagles would be to an alternate under downside, high leverage bet. Um, I wouldn't have a ton of confidence in it cashing, but um, I, I don't really see any value anywhere else. Yeah, I know, Connor, you said you don't have anything currently. It sounds like you probably won't on the Eagles. Yeah, I almost want to, the way I'm approaching it is I think that in high, in games where we can expect like the offense, the other team's offense to be competent, I want to hit overs early in the season because I don't think that the totals are going to be high enough, whether that's player props, whether it's totals. I think that there'll be some value in there early on. You know, week one against Patriots is not an example. I think they're just going to steamroll them. But I do think that their defense is probably a little bit overrated. Offensively, though, the, the biggest note, I guess, like you said, is the downside of the offensive line where they lost Isaac Samalo and uh, Andre Dillard as well. So, like, losing the like, depth, you know, I think makes them a little bit more fragile. That being said, they're still, I think, number one in our offensive line rankings, top three in basically everyone who pays attention to the offensive line. So, 
I like as long as they're healthy, I think that they're in a really good spot. Uh, also, the running back group, I think, got better. I mean, I think Rashad Penny's a better pure runner than Miles Sanders, and that, that DeAndre Swift's way better pass catcher if they want to use him in that way. Um, and if he can actually, I don't know, I guess play through contact. I don't know what his issue was in Detroit specifically, but they didn't seem to like him very much. Yeah, that's the thing with Swift. Like he's coming from a great offensive line and a fantastic offense. So expecting like a new ceiling for Swift, I think is you know, I workload based and that could happen, but um, you know, probably pretty thin. Yeah. I mean, they drafted offensive line again and added it like, you know, um, there's still, there's still some depth here and yeah, I mean, cluster injuries to any team at any position is a problem, but um, yeah, I'm kind of with you with the point you made at the top, like their ceiling offensively, I think is pretty high still because even though they were so run dominant last year, uh, I think they, if we have to turn it on a little bit, I mean, I think, Devonta Smith is probably the best number two receiver in the league. Like, and I don't think very far behind AJ Brown is number one on his team. Like you can make conversations for other duos in the league, but like Devonta Smith, I think is a pretty special separator that makes things pretty easy for a quarterback. Who's also maybe limited with some downfield accuracy stuff. Like I just think that they can scheme some things here to continue to make it. We see these trends for Jalen hurts as a passer. So if that is kind of the short side on that um, Clark, maybe you disagree, but I think that they're going to be able to still do that. I was just going to say, Devonta Smith is so good, he can make non-catches look like catches like he did in the playoffs against San Francisco on fourth down. It's a good skill, yeah. All right, so yeah, they're a tricky team because I do think that they are priced at the, t- at the top. Um, not necessarily their ceiling, but I don't think there's really any value, anything in terms of what's out there currently in the marketplace. So uh, we'll pivot to the uh, Dallas Cowboys, who are uh, 16 to 1 on MGM to win the Super Bowl. You can get them on Caesars at plus 650 to win the NFC. DraftKings has the best number at plus 190 for them to win this division. Uh, wins at nine and a half across the board, though heavily juiced to the over. Uh, so if you are bullish on that, you probably missed the mark. There's probably uh, a better way for you to go. Um, they needed a sacrificial lamb after uh, last season. Again, another early playoff loss. Thought maybe for a second to be Mike McCarthy, but it quickly became evident that that was going to be Kellen Moore, uh, who took the sword for trying to score too many points there. McCarthy stays on. Obviously, he'll take on the play caller duties. Brian Schottenheimer, uh, empty suit as the offensive coordinator. Thank God for the Cowboys and anyone that's bullish on them. We'll see what McCarthy can do here. Uh, But Clark, I'll let you get started with Dallas. The Cowboys for the last two years have had a very specific identity in in my mind. Uh, They've actually led the NFL in points scored over the last two seasons by 21 points. They've been a very high scoring team. Um, And part of that is because their offense has been all about plan A, and it's all about reacting to what the defense gives them. They are really, really good at saying, okay, you're going to give us this short, you're going to give us this easy, you know, we're going to take it and we're going to move down the field and we're going to score. And so last year, they, you know, for example, they scored 49 points against the Bears. They scored 40 points in that 43 blowout against the Vikings. They scored 54 against the Colts. Uh, in all of those games, the defenses were not blitzing. They were just kind of playing passive, trying to force you to make mistakes. The Cowboys don't make those mistakes against bad teams. But on the flip side of that, because they don't have an offensive identity that will just dictate to the defense what they want to do, you know, the way the Bills will, the way the Chiefs will, et cetera, even the Eagles, um, they've struggled when a defense has a really strong defensive line that can dictate the line of scrimmage. They, They just don't have a plan B answer to that. And what we've seen in each of the last two seasons is a good Cowboys team has lost in the playoffs to the 49ers specifically. Their defensive line led by Nick Bosa has just 
really caused them problems and they just haven't been able to solve those problems. They almost did two years ago until Dak, you know, ran it with like four seconds left or whatever happened at the end of that game. But, but the bottom line is the Cowboys are a good team. They're a good regular season team. They're a very good team against bad teams. So they're, they're a team that I'm comfortable backing when they are laying a lot of points. That's not something I like to do very frequently, but they're built in a way that they can cover those big spreads, um, especially on the defensive side when their pressure can really get to the quarterback in obvious passing situations. Micah Parsons is a monster. They've got opportunistic cornerbacks. So they're the kind of team that, you know, I'm looking at back as big favorites, maybe not so much when they're playing against a good defense. We'll see how that changes with the new offense coordinator. Um, you know, McCarthy's calling plays. We've got Schottenheimer in there. Maybe their offensive identity changes, but I also think it's kind of a Dak Prescott problem. Um, so they're a team that I that I think I'm going to try to prototype as they make their way through the season and kind of pick my spots betting on and betting against. They're not a team that I feel super strongly they're better or super strongly they're worse. They're kind of a week-to-week team for me. Yeah, it feels like, Connor, we, you know, we've heard some stuff in the offseason, McCarthy talking about wanting to get to a more run-heavy approach, which um, it just feels like reactionary. Like Prescott had 15 interceptions last year. That was a career high. We know interceptions can be a pretty noisy stat. When you look at some of the other baseline stuff, it doesn't look like very far off of what a baseline Dak Prescott season was. Again, you can make the case, too, that just – I mean, it was C.D. Lamb, and that's it. Like uh, Michael Gallup was coming off of the ACL injury – like Jalen Tolbert never really emerged. Like the secondary guys were a problem. And now, you know, Gallus talked about how much better he feels. They added Brandon Cooks in the offseason. Like there's maybe addition by subtraction by moving on and allowing Tony, Tony Pollard, who appears I had a schedule injury wise, to be the guy um, in terms of what they do offensively. So I'm interested to see what you think about the Cowboys. Yeah, the offense is probably my biggest question because of a couple changes, changing pieces here. The offensive line is not quite as dominant as it was in like, you know, I guess a couple of years ago. Right now we have them seventh. Uh, they have a couple of weak points here. Tyler Biotis was 25th out of 26 or 36 qualifying centers. Tyron Smith was below average as well. Uh, and I like their line is I would consider a strength, but definitely just is not on the same level as the Eagles or some of the other elite teams here. And then if they go to tour, like change their identity, like Kellen Moore is known for pace. He's known for pushing, pushing that specifically trying to score as many points as possible. And while that makes sense, it's just like the opposite of what McCarthy wants, which is like slow, long, methodical drive seemingly that kind of like allow his defense to remain on the sideline for better or worse. You know, I think that's just like what his philosophy is. So brought in Schottenheimer who was actually fired from the Seahawks for passing too much, uh, but he was an offensive quality I don't know, coordinator or whatever they had an offensive assistant. So basically he was just being Mike McCarthy's, you know, pet. And he's, that's what he's going to do again this year. He's kind of just nod his head, agree. And now he's back in the NFL on an offense that I think should be good. But I worry, like if you're going to go towards a little bit more run heavy, slower approach, like t- I don't know if Tony Pollard can handle that. I think that they're a team that probably is in the play in play for like a Leonard Fournette, Dalvin cook, uh, you know, Kareem hunt maybe as well to kind of like shoulder some of the load here, because I mean, Tony Pollard was a guy with like what, less than a hundred total carries in college. And while he's seen some, some big workload games here and there without Zeke, I'm just like worried that he can't shoulder that type of offense for a whole season here. And then the Brandon cook signing to me was a little weird at his peak. I think that Michael Gallup and Brandon cooks are kind of similar players in terms of like stretch outside receivers. Um, Brandon cooks just shown a little bit more than that in the previous years, but like, I can't imagine at this age being much else. So for me, it's kind of a wait and see offensively. I, I almost think my best way to bet this would be an under on Dallas's total points right here. It's like a 433 and a half. We're looking at a spot where 
They scored, I think it was just 20 more than that this year. And again, they've been pushing the pace, like Clark said, been like top of the league in scoring for the last few years. But I think a lot of that had to do with Kellen Moore. And I don't think that's really what, like how Mike McCarthy wants to play. So I think they're going to still be relatively efficient, but I think the pace is going to be slower. And there are some other issues that could cause efficiency offensively. I like that look. It's not a bad angle to it. I like the Brandon Cook signing. I'm not worried. I mean, he's this is his 10th year, which is kind of shocking, uh, but he's not that old. Um, and I think he had some early, like, preconceived notions of, like, this guy gets injured a lot. He's been pretty healthy um, outside of, obviously, you know, he had cluster concussions early, which looked like it was going to be problematic, but he seems to work that out. I think it naturally forces a couple of their moves, the big moves, adding Brandon Cooks on the offensive side, adding Stephon Gilmore on the defensive side. Not only are those, like, obviously good additions in a vacuum. I think what it does to the rest of the dynamic of offense defense is it slots other people in the right positions. You can move CD lamb and work him into the slot and allow Gallup and cooks to work on the outside. Uh, Deron Bland was really like a surprise for them at corner last year, but he plays really well in the slot. Now you allow him to stay in the slot. Gilmore is not the same guy, the one defensive player of the year in New England, but he's still really solid. Um, and he is someone that can allow them to take some risks. He can blitz off the edge. Um, you have someone like Mike, Michael Parsons who can destroy everything, really. Just like a, he's a force multiplier, I think is how I wrote it up in the article. It's like he just impacts every level of that defense in a different way. And they're talking about using him more just primarily as an edge, as a pass rusher this year to do things unless like, hey, we're not going to waste any Mike linebacker snaps on this guy. Like that's ridiculous. We're going to let this kid cook. They have one of the best secondary groups in the league, which again, like, you know, um, something that I like to get into a little bit more than maybe Clark saying, Hey, I kind of want to get to player eval. Like they're deep. The back half is deep and they're that helps in the way that, that football is played nowadays. Dan Quinn's one of those guys that like, and as a, as a head coach, not super excited about him, but if I, he's calling my D feel really good about the, what he's able to scheme week to week. They do things very differently week to week. You know, we chart some of that stuff uh, for subscribers and looking at like, play calling tendencies and single high, two high blitz rates. Like they're not very predictive. And that's, I think makes it challenging for us to find edges, but in terms of like, Hey, here's what they're doing. That is, I think something that we should be encouraged about what they do. So yeah, I, I'm with you guys and echo some of the sentiments you have in, in terms of like offensive line concerns and Tony Pollard concerns, but overall I like what they did this off season uh, and I like what the, this roster has. So yeah, I think nine and a half, I don't want to pay the juice, uh, but Clark, you probably have some more creative ways that we can get down on the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to point out that I love the signings of Brandon Cooks and Stefan Gilmore, one for each side of the ball. Not, not necessarily because these guys are still superstars or whatever, but that veteran leadership uh, in those rooms is, is really useful. You know, Trayvon Diggs is still relatively young. Um, having that mentorship that occurs in a, in a healthy locker room. Like, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, how it's going to pan out, but I like teams that add veteran leaders on defense. Like, we saw the Bengals do it a couple years ago, and it had a massive impact on their defense. Uh, the Falcons did it this year. We'll see what happens to them. But I, I think it, it can be it can be beneficial. Um, and, and it, you know, if you can't tell from my discussion of the Eagles and discussion of the Cowboys, I think the best way to play it is to back the Cowboys to win the division because I think that the gap between these two teams is much tighter. Um, the, the Eagles basically demonstrated their absolute upside the Cowboys had some struggles, you know, Cooper Rush played a few games, et cetera. And I think the biggest thing is psychologically, the Cowboys have ended each of the last two seasons on a downer note with those games against San Francisco. And that shifts our perception of who these teams are, whereas the Eagles really blazed through the playoffs and gave the Chiefs everything they could handle in the Super Bowl. So I think uh, end of season perception is kind of skewing 
the gap between these teams, which is actually really small. Um, and right now the odds are massive uh, between the two. So I, I like the Cowboys in the division. Cowboy, uh, Cowboys for the division you as well, Connor? What do you think? Uh, I think it's okay. I mean, I, I do think that it's probably closer to 50-50 than the odds suggest. So yeah, I think there's definitely a little bit of value there. Also, going back to the under points thing, I think the defense being so good actually helps that mentality too. And like, we're just, they, you don't need to see them push the pace. You don't need to see them try and expose themselves and take more risks uh, if they don't have to, you know? And I think that's going to be part of the Cowboys mentality this year. They're going to see a massive shift. And I think that they could be like a sneaky under team, honestly, early uh, in the season, just given like what we've seen compared to what we will see, which I think will be a relatively big offensive shift. Yeah, they're currently favored in 11 of the 17 games. Uh, so, you know, again, I just wish we would have had better price on the win total. I don't hate laying the two to one. I think there's, um, it makes some sense there. Again, the, remember too, to put this into context, like the NFC is so bad. Um, so, like, you know, this, that made it harder for me, maybe for the next two teams, trying to understand it's like their viability in terms of being a playoff roster. Like, can't advise anyone to lay like minus 380 for the Cowboys to make the playoffs. They're going to make the playoffs. Um, I feel like they'd make the playoffs even with a Cooper rush injury with the way this conference is with the way that this roster is around them. So definitely an interesting football team. I think the two to one in the division is probably your, uh, your best way to try to get down on them right now. Today's show is sponsored by Edge Boost. With Edge Boost, you can double your next bet at any sportsbook for free. They will match your first bet up to $100 and connects directly to your sportsbook. There are no fees, no interest, as long as you pay them back over four weeks. For more information, check out the link in the show notes. Make sure to gamble responsibly. All right, I find the Giants uh, very challenging to handicap. I think you gentlemen will agree with me as well. Uh, they are available 66-1 to 1 on MGM to win the whole thing. To win the NFC, they are 28 to 1. Also on MGM, you can get them to win the division at plus 850. Uh, and 7.5 is the win total, fairly flat. You can obviously shop around for the best of the number, but uh, Juice is uh, pretty even uh, most books there. Uh, look, I mean, again, we touched on this a little bit earlier. Even like the face painting giant fan among us would have to admit that last year was a fairly unexpected ride. Uh, we saw what happened. Obviously, Brian Dayball awarded with a Coach of the Year honor and a playoff appearance. And again, it speaks to, um, you know, Coach of the Year in particular expectations more than anything. Um, and again, a couple of things can be true at the same time. I believe that the skeptics are right to point out that they were on the right side of variance on so many levels last year. While I also think that they deserve credit for uh, both Dayball and Mike Kafka as a, you know, first time offensive coordinator to be like, hey, we kind of have a sense of what Daniel Jones is. What can we do to set him up to give him as many layups as possible? And he went out and set a career high and adjusted completion percentage, career low and average at the target, which kind of speaks to the way that the offense operated. Um, turnovers were not really a problem after fumbling like a, just a dozen, 18 times, I think is his rookie year, uh, only through five picks as well. So like, hey, don't turn the football over, throw some short high completion percentage passes uh, and then maybe make some opportunistic plays on defense. They didn't even really do that. Uh, but they, hey, they won the playoff. They went to a playoff, um, won the playoff game as well in Minnesota. Uh, but uh, Connor, let's get started on the Giants here. Yeah, I think this is probably the most, one of the most shocking things of last year would be like the Giants not only making the playoffs, but winning a game in the playoffs here. And if we just look at it, I attribute a lot of it to coaching, to be honest. Basically, all of it, Donald Martindale, you know, dialed up, dialed up the second highest pressure rate, but they were still 28th in EPA per play, second worst against the run, like bottom three to five in a ton of metrics. It's just that 
they were able to, they were second in interceptions per drive, like just some random metrics that they, they were a little bit of an opportunistic, uh, you know, defense in some senses. And then offensively, I just think that they fumbled what they could have done so badly in terms of their wide receiving core. Like all they need is like an alpha wide receiver. And I think that there's a case to be made for Daniel Jones taking that next step. And they just don't have that. Like Isaiah Hodgins flashed against the bad secondaries. Darius Slayton is nothing more than a stretch outside guy. And same with, I mean, they got Jalen Hyatt as well, who, you know, played in like the running gun Tennessee offense and basically just ran nines and was like wide open half the time. I mean, that, that was the most ridiculous offense ever, side note. But uh, we're looking at this team here. Darren Waller is obviously a good addition, but like his, his routes that he wins at are almost like redundant at this age. So like a lot of what are the other guys already win at. So you're probably not going to see an increase in ADOT from this offense here. For me, I was kind of looking at it. There's an off-market Giants not to make the playoffs, minus 170 at Caesars. It's like minus two, above minus 200 everywhere else. I think that's a decent look because personally, I think the Eagles are really strong. I think the Cowboys are really strong, like significantly stronger than this Giants team. And I also think that Washington is closer to coin flip to this Giants team uh, in terms of just, I guess, everything in terms of my outlook uh, otherwise. So for me, I think that that's actually a decent look here if you can find that price. I don't really want to lay above two to one, but... For me, I just don't see a way that this offense takes a step forward. And I see that there's multiple ways for them to take a step back offensively and defensively. That's the bet that I gave out as my best bets in the uh, article coming on the site shortly. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, Clark, what are your thoughts here on the Giants? Yeah, the Giants offense was all about not making mistakes, as you pointed out. You know, Daniel Jones only threw five interceptions. Uh, the the route trees weren't complicated. A lot of them were sort of like, you only have to look at half the field. It's like they watched all of Daniel Jones's tape and realized, okay, this guy doesn't do well when there's like a whole lot of things he has to process. So let's have him roll out. Let's have him have, you know, layered routes where he doesn't have to like move his head too much around this field. And it worked so well. It was unbelievable. Um, the, the thing about it is it's a simple offense in a way. Um, and so I worry about teams having a whole off season of tape on this offense what they might be able to do to counter it um, and what the, what Daniel Jones limitations will, will do in terms of countering that counter punch. Um, that said, they, they did end the season pretty well on offense. Um, they did face some easy defenses. So you kind of take that with a grain of salt, but um, Wondell Robinson getting healthy could make a difference. Um, obviously we need some, some downfield threats for the offense, or I do think it gets tighter and tighter and tighter and, until they, they can't really make it happen. Um, one thing I want to point out, I, I tweeted about this, but, but coach of the year typically goes to a team that vastly outperformed its own talent. And that's true last year. Um, and so as a result, those teams tend to come back down to earth the following year, not because the coach sucks or anything, but just because of expectations are too high and variance doesn't go that way anymore. So, you know, the last seven head coaches that won went from 12 and five to seven and 10, 11 and five to eight and nine, 12 and four to eight and eight. 14 and 2 to 11 and 5, 13 and 3 to 9 and 7, 15 and 1 to 6 and 10. And then McVeigh is the outlier. He went from 11 to 5 to 13 to 3. Only one head coach of the last seven winners, you know, didn't lose three games or more from the from this prior season. So I, I think there's some reversion going to happen with the Giants, regardless. Um, and this this sort of narrative angle is just a, an example of what we we should expect to see. Yeah, uh, I think that's uh, well laid out. Now, again, like I think. I believe in him. I believe in Dayball. I believe again. I want to give credit to what, um, like, what his trend was coming in and why the Giants were excited to hire him and how he executed it really well in his first year. Still, like, as Connor said, like we we have a roster full of third options and slot guys. 
Um, and I think that, yes, on paper, Darren Waller is someone that Giants fans should be maybe optimistic about. But I think Connor laid it out perfectly. The redundancy and where he wins makes this a little bit trickier in terms of like how you play defense against these teams. Like everything is going to be happening in the short to intermediate part of the field and over the middle in terms of like whether it's mesh routes and drag stuff that you're going to be doing with Wandell Robinson and like, hey, where's what is the, one of the best things that Saquon Barkley does? Like he's a pretty good pass catcher, but that stuff is happening like short into the flat. Like even that's not something that's, you know, being able to be ex- like really like pushed because of the way that the rest of these receivers work. So yeah, Jalen Hyatt just ran sprints at Tennessee. He's going to have to do that and do that with some success here to stretch the field or at least make it a threat to do so. Cause otherwise I think it like negates some of the impact that Darren Waller on paper can bring to this offense. So um, I'm still bullish, even though I think he's a little bit like he's his age is I think further along because he missed a lot of time. It was kind of a late bloomer. So he doesn't have as much, you know, miles on the tires as some most guys his age but again like his fit offensively is challenging for me to get my head around but defensively i just don't know like there's a lot of questions in the secondary um i just don't feel really good about really anything here now again like up front they're really good i mean you know leonard williams dexter lawrence up front like came on thibodeau came on at the tail end of the year they'll be able to drum up maybe a little bit of pressure but I don't know. I just have more questions than answers. Deontay Banks is a rookie. You're going to need him to really hit the ground running. Same thing. Adoree Jackson has been kind of hit and miss when he's on and off the field a lot over his young career. So I just, I don't feel really opportunistic about them or I don't feel encouraged about them being able to be as opportunistic with the talent level that they have here. So uh, you can get plus money on under seven and a half wins. Like Connor mentioned, I like the no playoffs here, even in this, conference which i think is kind of wide open i think they're going to be competitive partially because like the schedule is harder but it's not really hard um i do believe in the coach and the system but in terms of like this team winning nine games again man i'd be really 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 surprised like you're gonna have to have just an outlier performance both in terms of someone in the secondary being able to shut down number one options and one of these receivers has to emerge and i think like it's just going to be a war of attrition like Paris Campbell, Sterling Shepard, like those guys never play more than like 10 games in a season. Like, so yeah, like there's right now it's hard to parse through, but just the war of the season is going to wear it out. And all of a sudden you're going to be left with three guys standing and these are the guys you got to go to battle with. And is Daniel Jones a talent elevator? I think we have enough to say no uh, at this point. So uh, Kafka might, or, you know, Kafka might be, uh, Dayball might be. But Daniel Jones is the one that has to make the plays on the field. So, yeah, I, I like the no playoffs. Uh, Clark, what is your your way to, to bet the Giants? Um, so, so Stan actually points out a, a good point. So shouldn't Dayball and Kafka get equally blamed for the slow starts as they praise for end-of-game management? Absolutely. The Giants had a – if you take their third-quarter point differential going into the fourth quarter of the course of the season, it was negative 31 on the season, and they 9-7-1. So that's a lot of end-game variance that went their way. Um, and they need to be better early. Um, I am generally down on this offense. I'm generally down on this team. Um, if if you look at uh, the previous year, they scored 365 points against an easy schedule. They finished 9-7-1. and one. This year, their win total is 7.5, so they're expected to regress. Uh, their schedule is much tougher, uh, including an absolutely brutal slate of defenses. Uh, the a- AFC East is absolutely loaded defensively. The NFC East outside of them is loaded defensively. So that's 10 games against top 10 defenses by my numbers. Um, and their like total point scored prop on DraftKings right now is 379 and a half. 
Um, so I'm, I like that under. I don't think that they're going to be as successful in endgame situations as they were last year. I think their offense is going to struggle more against tougher defenses, and they're going to be a worse team. So I think there's some value there. Pretty much anything uh, that is fading the Giants is a bet that I can get on board with. I'm doing it a little bit through my Cowboys division bet. I think the Giants uh, have very little chance to win the division, so that squeezes up the value in that bet a little bit too. All right, I like it. Uh, we'll move on to our final squad here, the Washington Commanders, who uh, you know, pretty eventful offseason. Um, you know, you had basically a new ownership group coming in. You got a new offensive play caller, new starting quarterback. Um, they had you know them finishing eight, eight and one last season feels like perfect. Like it was just kind of like a meh season. Um, I think their highlight of the year was you know upending the Eagles in Philly on Monday night to and their run for uh, undefeated season. But, uh, you know, I understand the Eric Bieniemy thing. I think lateral moves are, are very interesting that we don't see often. But, like, I don't know. I was trying to articulate it in my article. Like, I don't know what the opposite of, like, washing the stink off of you is. But, like, Bieniemy couldn't separate himself from you know, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Uh, so now you have to go here and do something where it's like, no, look what I'm able to do. Look how I'm able to elevate. And that's going to be on your boy, Connor Sam Howell, who – um, I'm surprised. Like I don't, I'm, I, I get it. You should go with the younger kid more times than not. Jacoby Brissett was really good last year in his, his limited time in Cleveland. He's been kind of a village bicycle in the NFL, where every team's had a ride for a little bit at some point on the Jacoby Brissett wagon. Um, them not even really making this a quarterback competition is peculiar to me, considering like that they maybe could compete for a playoff spot. But hey, if Sam Howell is who you think he is, uh, maybe they do anyway. Yeah, I, I think that that provides more upside, but I think that Brissett kind of almost gives them a floor, uh, like a lot higher floor offensively. But a lot of this is going to rely on Biennemi here because they have some pieces in place. I wouldn't say the offensive line is very good specifically, which is a little bit of a worry. But, uh, you know, obviously McLaurin, Dotson in his second year, Curtis Samuel is, I would say, one of the league's best slot receivers when he's healthy. Uh, and, you know, other than that, like Brian Robinson is a solid power back. Antonio Gibson out of the backfield is good as well. Now it's just... A matter of whether or not those guys can stay healthy and whether they have like an offensive system that kind of ignites the league and ignites their team here because we've seen it before we saw it with McVeigh when he had we saw it with McDaniel now all of them had talent uh like specific talented players but like it caught everyone by surprise now I, I'm not expecting a Rams like season when they came onto the scene not expecting a Mike McDaniel like season but could they do what the Giants did where they were able to scheme their guys in the right places? I think they certainly have more talented offensively than than the Giants. Uh, and so I think there's reason to be bullish offensively on this team where it's a pretty wide range of outcomes. But I think Joe, Jacoby Brissett, if Sam Howell does fail, can kind of like catch them if they fall in a sense. And then defensively here, I mean, they were good. Fifth in EPA per play, third against the run, sixth in explosive pass rate. Like they lost uh, – Bobby McCain, the safety, but they added, you know, Emmanuel Forbes. They uh, were able to add to the offensive line a little bit. They added Cody Barton, a linebacker. Like, I, I think that they're in a spot where they'll probably, like the Eagles, be a fringe top 10 defense. Um, and so that combined with an offense that could have sneaky upside leaves me in a spot where I think them to make the playoffs at plus 310 at MGM is an interesting value. I think them over on their win total is an interesting value as well. So, yeah, I, th I think that there's a lot more volatility with this team. We talked about it on our volatility episode, but like I'm more bullish here than I think the downside uh, is because I think the defense is going to be good, and then the offense is just like, who knows? Yeah. Uh, Clark, I 
I, I agree. The range of outcomes, like you could sell me on a handful of things. I think to Connor's point, I could be sold on them having a uh, giants like, you know, back into the playoff appearance. And then you could tell me that they're picking first uh, or, you know, towards the top end of the draft come uh, next April. Like I, I, I could see it going a wide, wide way of ways here with the commanders. I actually, it's kind of interesting because you think, Oh, Sam Howell creates variance for this team. I actually don't view the commanders as a particularly high variance team, even with an unknown at quarterback, because like you said, their defense is pretty good. I mean, I think they're a little bit overrated. They had some, some favorable matchups last year, like the Cooper rush game and the Davis mills game. Houston was absolutely terrible. That game, Sam Ellinger, they played against um, and, and down the stretch, they weren't all that good, but they do have a strong defensive line. They're not reliant on some superstar to where if he gets hurt, you know, like the way the Rams rely on Aaron Donald, right? Like, Washington is a very robust team. There, there's not really any player that sticks out as like, well, if they lose that player, they're just going to go downhill. They're just kind of a flat roster. Offensively, they've got some good weapons on offense. Their offensive line is decent. Uh, you know, they want to run the ball a lot. At least they did last year. Eric Bieniemy is a former running back, running backs coach. So I, I would anticipate, a, you know, a lot of run game. So I, I kind of view them as like a kind of a mediocre team without a huge range of outcomes. Sam Howell as a fifth round pick. Um, not optimistic on him, you know, smashing the league, taking the league by storm in his first year. We only have one game of NFL tape to watch, but I watched it this week in preparation for the show. And I was not impressed at all. Like he had, he had two really nice deep throws. And if you want to run those highlights on repeat, like you can feel good about yourself if you're a commanders fan, but the rest of the game was really awful. And he, he threw a pick in the end zone. One of the worst passes I saw all year. Um, and too often he was taking sacks in situations where he needed to make a quick decision uh, granted, it was the Cowboys defense, which is very good. So you kind of have to have that caveat. And a lot of players make a massive leap from year one to year two as quarterbacks. You have to leave room for that as a as you're predicting this team out. But I just kind of I'm not excited about playing uh, high variance the way I typically would be with a quarterback in this situation, uh, just because of those kind of flatlining aspects of this team. Hmm. Go ahead, Connor. Push back. No, I was just going to say, I think, I mean, Sam Howell had 19 pass attempts. You know, it was like against a good Cowboys defense. So like, I agree. I don't really think he was all that good either, to be entirely honest. I think that uh, it was not a great spot for him, but like, I don't, I'm not taking anything from that game uh, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just more confident in a potential ceiling outcome just based on the enemy. Um, I mean, if, if Jared Goff can get there with the Rams, I think that basically anyone can get there. Yeah. So my thoughts on the range of outcomes thing is like, so yeah, how went like pick 144, the fifth rounds, Coming into the season, he lost a lot of talent the year before. Like this was a guy that everyone thought was going in the top five. There was a case to be made for Sam Howell to be the number one quarterback. Um, and quarterback evaluations are fickle and difficult. The best of the best who do this forever uh, have a very hard time landing on what's going to be a successful NFL quarterback. So if he can get a little bit more time with Eric Bieniemy, who again, like you know, Pat Mahomes is Pat Mahomes, uh, not because of Eric Bieniemy, but um, you know, maybe. It's what Bienemy learned from Mahomes more so than even anything that Bienemy was able to to teach Mahomes that he can help translate and bring over to this offense. I do like the supporting staff as Connor laid out in terms of what the wide receiver room has. I think they have you know a couple of average running backs that I think support each other well in terms of what they do. Uh, the offensive line I think is good enough. Now the defense is part of it too because yeah I think this is probably one of the like it's probably on paper if you're going to get 16 17 games out of the front four it's probably the best in football. Like Montez Sweat it, to me is one of like the most underrated players in the league. Everyone wants to talk about Chase Young. Sweat is incredible. Now their job is a lot easier 
if Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen are on the field as well. And that supports everything. So trickle down effect and how they can kind of support things in the back half. I have questions about the secondary and the secondary play really matters in the way that football is played nowadays. Like Emmanuel Forbes is, Got a lot of great highlights. You could find some fantastic interceptions, some pick sixes. I have a very thin 15-year-old son who is built just like Emmanuel Forbes. I have a very hard time projecting this guy to be an NFL football player. I can't imagine him being a willing tackler. Um, again, he can add some weight in the weight room. He probably should have done it in college while he was there. But like that kid is very thin. Now, again, maybe his ball skills are off the charts and he's good enough. But everything around it's still just kind of okay too. Kendall Fuller's all right. Benjamin St. Just is just okay. Um, you know, secondary room's all right with Cam Curl and stuff. But like, this is not a great defense, especially if they can't keep everyone in the front four. But again, if the front four is awesome, this could be a top five defense in the league, and that changes the whole dynamic. So I think there is a little bit more variance because I do think that maybe the Sam Howell upside is a little bit higher. Maybe I'm leaning a little bit towards what Connor thinks in terms of what we can see from Sam Howell, partially because I think the supporting cast is strong. So how are we betting them, Clark? I, I'm my hands off. <laughs> I'm not, not looking to bet them. Another thing about them is, is I, I'm a big Taylor Heineke fan. I, I thought they were much better offensively with Heineke than they were with Wentz. And so when you kind of project out their offensive performances, smooth it out for like replacing Heineke for Wentz in those games. I think the Washington offense was okay. They were eight, eight and eight team. And I think even Howell's upside is probably around that eight and eight mark. Um, so I'm just, I'm kind of being like, yeah, the market's probably right. I don't want to get behind a Washington team that I don't really believe in. And I don't want to fade them when I think they have a lot of spread out pieces um, and a quarterback with, we don't know what his upside is. Like he could be good. Um, the schedule also is kind of daunting. So, so the, the upside case, I think, is just really tough to make out for this team. Um, I'm hands off. Um, I'm going to be observing very keenly early in the season to see who I think this team is. One thing I will point out is they their run defense, because of the front four, is actually really, really strong. But it is easily duped. They, they play the run aggressively. At least they did last year, and they have the same defensive coordinator. So teams like, uh, let's see, the Lions had 191 rushing yards against them. The Bears had 237 rushing yards. The Falcons had 167, and the Niners had 153. So, like, while they have a strong run defense, it's important to recognize, is this an up-the-gut kind of run team, or is this a run team that uses a lot of misdirection, a lot of setups, a lot of creativity in the run game? Uh, because those those run games perform vastly different against this defensive front. So that's something I might be looking into as kind of like a marginal, like push me to one side of the, the other on a bet. It's a great point for for the prop market specifically, because I think it was Miles Sanders really struggled against them because they just kept handing him like those read options, like right up the gut. Uh, yeah. Whereas normally they're really dominant there, but they weren't against uh, Washington. I think, I think he was like, he averaged like two or three yards per carry or something like that in both games against Washington. It was not very yeah. good. So. Yeah. All, all of the Eagles creativity was just, is Hertz going to keep it or not? Which isn't really enough. Yeah. You have to have some, mm -hmm. some creative schemes, some misdirections, some things going in both, both directions to really make it work. Yeah. Second half of that first game in Washington, I think Washington, I think it was like 24, nothing Eagles at the half or something like that. And they ran just the most vanilla get to the bus, uh, type of offense in the second half of that game, which was uh, probably adds to that factor. But a good point, nonetheless. Yeah, um, not a good linebacker crew. Carson Wentz wasn't scoring 24 points in that game. No, and then they knew that too, and they're like, "All right, let's just uh, let's let's make sure we get the uh, full squad to uh, to the next week." So, um, yeah, there are favored in only two of 17 games right now, which is interesting. They have a bunch of coin flip games, so they're right there. And then, as Clark pointed out, really from week 10 on. 
schedule on paper is really, really tough. They also have a week 14 late season bye. I think they come out of that and play the Rams. And then after that, it's like, yeah, let me see here. Um, you know, week 10 on Seattle on the road, um, Giants, Dallas, Miami. Uh, I mentioned the bye and then the Rams. And then their final three weeks, they play the Jets in New York. And then they're home to San Francisco, home to Dallas to end the season. So not a great, great end of the season. Um, Caesars also offers, which I really like, these um, divisional win totals. I had some fun with those last year. It's a little juicy. Under two and a half wins in the division um, is minus 150. Now, I don't love laying that juice. But again, your best case scenario is like an optimistic side. Is they're sweeping the Giants? Uh, and then they need a coin flip. Basically, they need to win one from their Eagles in and Dallas games. Uh, if not, and you have any really sense that the Giants are going to be competitive, like you probably think that they're winning at least one of those games against the Commanders, if not both of those games. Now you need to take multiple games away from Philadelphia and Dallas, and I think that's a little bit harder. So that's probably one of the ways that I would bet them. If you're optimistic, I would go for the alt-overs and the win totals, uh, alt-over on maybe points or something like that that the uh, gentlemen have laid out here. Uh, Connor, what are your thoughts? You're looking at some alt stuff on uh, on Washington. Yeah, it's probably because I looked at like the, you can bet they're over eight and a half. That's like high plus 200s as well. I think that's fine. Um, but yeah, to make the playoffs probably makes the most sense here in the NFC. It was like nine wins, I think, kind of gets you in here, to be honest. So that's, that's something I've been di diving into more is like when you're considering to make the playoffs versus a win total. There were some in the AFC as well where it was like, you know, you might as well just bet not to make the playoffs or to make the playoffs because sometimes you get that extra added edge of, okay, maybe they make it in with nine wins instead of betting over nine and a half, you know, there's an outside chance in the AFC where nine wins like the last team, team or two can make it in. So same thing applies in the NFC here um, in, in a weak conference here. I think just play the, play the range of outcomes with some of these teams that you aren't really sure on, because I was actually thinking about this too. It's like the downside scenario is like, what if Eric B is like Adam Gase, you know, like he just rode the coattails of Peyton Manning uh, rode and in this case, rode the coattails of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he by many accounts was a terrible interviewer. Um, and now, you know, I think that there were some other issues and biases involved in some of his interview processes. But uh, other than that, like there were many accounts that he is not was not ready to be an offensive coordinator head coach. That's why he didn't get that. Now that's why he's an offensive coordinator, kind of like a lateral move. So the downside is he's not like a boy wonder. And I mean, the downside is really low if he doesn't figure it out. So I think that they, it's basically an Eric Bieniemy ride or die. And I'm interested and slash excited, but I think you can make a case otherwise. Yeah, that's it. Like, I think, you know, maybe a little bit of hyperbole to say they're picking first in the draft uh, in terms of what's in the range of outcomes. But, like, there is a, a, a pretty, I think, stark bottom in terms of what we could see here. Um, if, you know, some of the questions that we have on the defensive side come to pass, and then if it's, you know, Howell in conjunction with the enemy really can't take a step forward, then it's great to have a nice receiving group. Um, if no one can get them the football, that's really a difficult place to be. Um, so yeah, maybe we, you know, and then you have to turn to Jacoby Brissett later in the season. It's not really an exciting thing. So all right, gentlemen, what in the books? NFC East is behind us again. Uh, reminder podcast form, YouTube, uh, four for four bets on the YouTube page. We appreciate that. Thumbs up, likes, comments, all those things go a long way in supporting us. Clark's got his uh, preview up. I, my best bets uh, probably up, um, should be up shortly. If not, by the time you're listening to this, should be up on the site. Uh, we appreciate any support there. Again, $5 for a three-month betting sub, guys. Like Again, I don't want to be like super pitchy and salesy. It's such an insane deal. 
Um, we'd prefer that you just go and lock up the year, get in that Discord, fantastic community where you can talk football with all year long. Um, even when the three of us don't have our nose in there, a lot of sharp people to, to bounce ideas off and talk about um, with the Discord. Again, we have channels for any sports on any of the pick'em sites. Uh, check out Vivid Picks. Download that $5 deposit using 444 bets, and you get access to the betting sub for three months. So I uh, appreciate these gentlemen as always. We'll be back next week to keep this show rolling. Uh, so for Connor and Clark, I'm Ryan. We'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.